0: Hey guys, welcome to the Posting and toasting Show. I'm Drew, Schwinn's here. What up, Schwinn? What up, what up, what up, what up? And on today's uh, award-winning episode, we have on a very special guest. He's from The Fan, and he said he wanted to introduce himself. So, uh, Schmelk, go ahead. The floor is yours.
1: Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, honestly, I, I, there's just too much nonsense that I do. I don't, I don't like to put that on other people. Um, all, all, all this stuff I have on com, Um, The Bank Shot, my next podcast, which you can find links to my Twitter page. It's also on all your favorite podcast platforms. It's called The Bank Shot. And then for my Giant stuff, we just launched a whole new podcast feed, uh, dot Uh, you have, uh, People Take Off Live, which is the Gary Collins show. You got the Giants Huddle podcast, which is an interview show, and then you have uh, Giants Rewinds with Carl Banks, where we ask to every Giants game. So that's kind of all the stuff. And now you understand why I didn't ask you to do it. Yeah,
0: yeah <laughs> I would have. I would have butchered that. I have problems with uh, people's names and remembering things. So it was. Uh, it was definitely much appreciated. And you're the radio professional, you know, and we're just two, uh, <laughs> two guys on a podcast. So
1: <laughs> all right.
0: <laughs> You know what, I, I hate to tell you, in
1: about 10 years, most radio professionals will just be guys on a podcast.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, man, don't, uh, don't say that. There's, there's nothing better than, uh, like, sports radio at, like, you know, you're stuck in traffic, and yeah, have Mike no, you. and Mike Francesca's just, like, ranting about something and drinking his Diet Coke. Oh. It is.
2: Francesca retired now, right? Again? Isn't that what happened? He retired again?
1: Yeah, he is. He, he He's going to be off afternoon drive in the beginning of December, and now he just, he's going to do some other type of role, which has not been specified yet.
0: So mm-hmm. that's, ups- okay. that's upsetting. We, yeah, I need
2: uh, I need those those every couple of weeks you get a legendary rant. I need that. Uh, so.
0: Right? <laughs> yeah, I need, I need his rants in my life. He just brings so much joy, like unintentional joy. Or he knows no. He's he knows what he's doing. Yeah, he's pretty good. I think Beningo has him beat though
2: with, with the rants now. That guy. Bro, is...
1: bro, 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 bro. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, his one last year with Isola after the Porzingis trade was. That was legendary. He just like he like had to disconnect Ice hello because he was just like, nope, can't do it anymore, Frank.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was definitely one of the uh, yeah. I really appreciate that one. I, I like to revisit that every now and then just to be oh, like, yeah. oh, wow, like what is a you know, Frankie Ice just got nothing, got nothing to say. And it, was, uh, it, it, was, it was just yeah, beautiful. Was the, the Chef's Kiss. Um, so let's get back into the uh, track right now. We're gonna talk about. Mainly some broad things going on with the uh, the next. Like we'll touch on the Mavericks win, the Charlotte loss, but we're mainly going to discuss like the broader implications of this Fisdale coaching discussion and then anything that kind of comes with it. I I think for me at least, there's been a disconnect between what people are actually criticizing Fisdale about versus um, what people think we're criticizing fail about and I and when I say we I'm talking more of like like there's people on like Twitter like media members versus like
2: fake fans. Yeah.
0: fans right like I think there is a pretty big disconnect between what there's like I was listening to the open floor podcast um with uh, Ben Gulliver and um what's his name Rob mahoney oh, yeah yeah and yeah because Andrew sharp's gone you know we need we need sharp back on that podcast just uh <laughs> just throw that back out uh, out there um got to get
2: andrew sharp right.
0: Yeah, we got to get andrew sharp right. So um someone, you know, sports illustrated maybe hire him back or something. I don't know. That'd be <laughs> that would be nice. But anyway, they're like they were talking about how like what is Fizail supposed to do with this roster, right? And that's what a lot of like the media and then like former players are really talking about. This idea of what is Fizail supposed to do? with this roster, and I I know this is Schwinn's take, and I agree with him. I've never seen a coach get more of a pass for an incomplete roster because not every roster is perfect. Even for good teams, their roster is not perfect.
2: You know whose roster isn't complete? The fucking Hornets.
0: Yeah, that that was about (laughs) to say the same exact thing, man.
1: Absolutely.
2: Like, I I just – okay, so here's the thing, right? Like, here, there are certain things about the roster, which we knew coming into the season, and those things as deficiencies – you could point to and you would be like, that's the front office's fault because they didn't get... Like, for example, without without Mitch, we don't have another rim protector. That is directly on the front office. That was their choice. That was what they decided to do with the front court rotate. Like, the players they signed, that was a the choice they made. Um, that, that falls 100% on them. I don't put that on Fazil at all. But when Mitch is out, your entire... Like, why are you forcing these three big lineups in that situation? Especially because, like, the value of playing big, right? If you're playing big, the entire purpose should be, like, you're controlling the inside, the, the paint. You're, you're, you have room. You're, if you're not getting that out of your three big lineup, then it probably doesn't make any sense to play it as much as you have. And it's like, I mean, we didn't need to see Morris, Randall, and Port. I think they're, like, our highest 3 men like, the the three-man combination that's played the most minutes together, like, I don't care that Mitch is, like, if Mitch is out, we have 90 guards on the team. Like, we have so many fucking guards. You should be playing them. Like, you should be playing small way more often. And I think you touched on this. I listened to your um, pod the other day with uh, Viceni, and yeah. um, you touched on this where you were like, look, man, like, because he, he was like, oh, you got to play Randall at the five. And, and you were like, look, I'll take two big lineups at this point. Like I don't, like I don't mind, but the three big lineups are just killing me, and they're killing us on the on the court. And it's like, you know, as soon like we now that Mitch is back, all of a sudden you're seeing like, oh, the lineups make more sense now. But it's like the adjustment to him being out was so poor, and like that's that's the stuff where you see when you're watching, you, if you're not watching the Knicks every game, you're just looking at their box scores, and you came into the season like ready to like make a meme out of them. Then sure, it's great, and you can be like, "Ha ha ha! Knicks fans so delusional! Like Fizdale can't do anything." But if you're actually sitting there watching these games, and you see how the minutes are being doled out in specific spots and like positions, um, like he, he's just not. He doesn't do that stuff clean, and it's like that's that's the worrisome part among many parts. It's like,
1: yeah, I
0: don't know. yeah, John, go ahead.
1: Yeah, to me, I, I want to go back to that Bulls game, because I think this was a perfect example. He went to a lineup in the, the third quarter, which is a terrible lineup. Um, I believe, if I remember right, it was literally, he picked the five worst defensive players on the team and put them all on the court at the same time. <laughs> it was, I don't I'm, I'm you know you laugh, but it's true.
2: No, it was, I remember it.
1: He <laughs> put out Bobby Portis, Kevin Knox, Alonzo Trier. Yeah. Oh, I'm trying to think who it is in the lineup. Oh thank yes. you, Dennis Smith here. And, and he had Randall,
2: Randall at one point.
1: And, and and Randall was in there too, and then Taj Gibson went in for him after a couple minutes. Yeah. But the idea as a coach that you can think that lineup works. And then he didn't just stick for for the for the for the end of you know the the three minutes in the third quarter, which they got away with. They finished the third quarter tied. I think they were actually even in plus minus. Then he puts his for the fourth. And after a minute he calls timeout and you're like, All right, he figured it out. They're down three now. He's gonna make a change. Then he have to play two more minutes, and you yep. play nine, Um, uh, the uh Kobe White gets hot from three, and then they're down nine. And it's, it's, it's stuff like that where you just sit there and you wonder why would he think that's a good idea? And look, everyone's and, and, and this is the point I'm making. The bigger the bigger overall picture problem with this Knicks team is Steve Mills and the roster that they built. Because even if Fisdale gets the most out of it, what are you going to win, 32 games, something like that? Right. That's, if he does a, that's if he does a great job. So that's obviously not an ideal situation for an NBA team. Like your best-case scenario, 32 wins. But he comes out this year, and look, did he get help? No. Dennis spencer has been terrible. Julius Randle has been terrible. Mitchell Robinson's been hurt. So those are all things that you say, okay, that makes sense. But the question is, is he maximizing the people at his disposal? And I don't know how you can take a look at what they're doing and say that he is. Because there's no reason that on every night, both Damian Dotson and Wayne Ellington should not be part of this rotation. This team is so deficient in terms of shooting. No one can really shoot that well on this team, except for those two guys. Yet he consistently only plays one of them, and only plays one of them around 20 to 25 minutes. That doesn't make any sense. So I think when you take a look at things like that, you get frustrated. And, you know, Sam Vecini made one other interesting point in the podcast. He made a bunch of them, but this is one that kind of stood out to me because no one's made it. I think, and and we all kind of said this over the summer, right? The front office put Fisdale in a tough spot. They gave him all these veterans on one-year deals that are going to expect to play, inflate their numbers, and sign a big contract, right? Their agents are expecting to go to the Knicks, inflate their numbers, and sign a big contract. So if you go give Bobby, Bobby Portis $15 million, he's on the roster, he and the agent are going to expect to play. And then if you don't play them, what's going to happen is that the agent is going to get pissed at you. And then maybe it's going to hurt your ability to get one of his clients later on. So, you know, my whole thing with the free agent class is that I, I was fine for the most part with what they did, but I thought there was a point of diminishing returns where they signed too many guys. And I think I would have rather left open $15 million or even $20 million of cap space than yeah. bring in a Bobby Portis and an Alfred Payton, for example. But you know have peace on the roster, that's fine. Just take Bobby Portis off. And you save $15 million and you have got cap space to absorb his salary dump. That would have been fine. So I, I think Fisdale's done a poor job with it, but I also don't think Steve Mills did him any favors.
2: Yeah, uh, and, and we've I think we've both said like multiple times on here that um, if they had just signed not signed Portis and Payton, uh, and you can just sign, like, you know, bring back Cornette for $4 million, whatever the hell he cost, and then sign yep. some random journeyman vet that, like, is 35 uh, to be your third point guard or something, and, okay, then then you have the same, you bring in the same numbers, you fill out the roster, but you still have more cap space, whatever. Um, by
1: the way, I have a question for you guys. How, how do you think they would have changed what they did in free agency? If Marcus Morris would have signed with them the first day of free agency, before they signed Todd Gibson and say Bobby Portis,
2: I'm, I'm guessing think? Portis wouldn't be here. Yeah, I wonder Portis, if it would be Portis, yeah, Portis or wouldn't
1: Gibson. be
0: here. No, I, I don't think, think he'd
2: be here. So, like, the thing with Scott Perry is what he's he said this multiple times how like his biggest regret when they were in Orlando was um, kind of just like letting the kids just develop on their own and not supporting them with kind of veteran leader types. Mm. Uh, so I think that Gibson, like, I, I think they wanted Gibson and Morris specifically. Morris obviously, can; they can both still play, which helps. But I think they view them as kind of like, I mean, and they are. They actually, like, I really like having those two guys in the team, to be honest. Um, because oh, I me think, too. yeah, like, I, I think you can really see, like, you see like Morris is a guy that like all the young players gravitate to him. They all gravitate, they love him so much. And uh, by
1: the way, he's he's actually only one of the two or three actual two-way players of the team. He right. helps you on both ends of the floor. There aren't just don't have guys that do that.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just think like he just brings like a competitive edge that I know like that the whole dog thing is funny, like it's it is funny. We make fun of it all the time, but it's like like he does bring a competitive edge that I think um you need like like frank is competitive right but i don't know if he really has had somebody that played with that type of edge in the first two years of his career on the knicks and it's like it's some, there's something about like seeing that every night every game and even fizz has talked about it he's like i've never had a player like marcus morris who like is literally texting me in the middle of the night about how he can do better and like You know, if you have somebody like that in your roster, I think it really makes a difference. And, like you mentioned, that he competes on both ends of the floor. Um, And, you know, Taj is, like, the only guy on the fucking team that sets a screen. So, yeah. yeah, (laughs) and of itself. Um, But, like, Taj is another one he's been through. Like, these guys have played – like, they're the only two that we signed, I think, that you could say have, like – like, they've played in big games, big series, big moments. And it's really valuable to have those, too. Like – Whereas with Peyton and Portis, what I didn't like about that is, like, Randall I understood as, like, it's a total upside play and, like, the contract wasn't that bad and it's, like, you know, it's basically a two-year and then if he's good in those two years, you can keep him for the third. Um, but, like, with with Peyton and Portis, what I didn't like is that they're, like, they're still they're young players that are still trying to, like, find their niche in the league find out, like, w- what is their role? What is their game? They're still developing. And I think that is the big problem for me, and, it like, it leads into something else that is really annoying about fizzville is I feel like he plays guys too, like, he. I think he gets too obsessed with, like, developing everybody and, like, get, like, oh, I got to get Randall right, got to get Portis right, and it's like, no, you don't, actually. Um... Like, because those aren't the fucking priorities, you know. They're they're not the priorities, and at least for for me, I don't know internally what the discussion is. Um, but like, you know, for example, yesterday, like, regardless of what you think you need to be doing, you got to have R.J. Barrett on the floor in the last possession of the game. You have to. I do not care what your reasoning is. He has to be on the floor because he has to be experiencing those situations, those pressures, like. Like, he has to get those experiences. And if, if not now, then when? Like, who gives a shit about game 13 of, of this season right now? Nobody cares. Like, not in the sense of winning or losing, To not to me anyway. But it's like, but when you clearly are prioritizing winning the game that much, then you are, then you have to be judged on that. And if that's your move when you're trying to win the game, I have serious questions about, like, just your fundamental understanding of what are the, who are the players and what are the the skills that are actually helping you on the court. Um, and, like, Frank is a best, best example of this because, like, yes, he is offensively, like, very, very much still a work in progress. But, like, he gives you so much value just in terms of, like, obviously his defense, but also the fact that, like, he is not, like, he's not, he's going to keep the ball moving. He keeps the flow of the offense ticking over. Um, Like, there is value to stuff like that. And it took
1: what? Like, it took...
2: An, everyone it, being
1: injured. Yeah, it took it everyone took, being injured. Yeah,
2: for him to, like, play him. And now, like, I do think that Frank is basically, maybe not a starter. Like, I don't think he's a nailed-on starter. But I do think he's, like, 100% in the rotation now, even for Fizz. Um, which was, like, always my problem. I didn't care if he started. I actually said at the beginning of the year I was totally fine with him not starting and I just wanted him to be, like, a 20, 25-a-night, uh, consistent, like, first guard off the bench. Um, so, I'm, like, this is great for him. I'm very happy with this. But, it, yeah, I mean, like, it, I was just looking at it uh, this morning. But, like, you know, of all the players who have played over, like, 150 minutes, so, you know, that doesn't include Ellington, Trier, Dotson, Payton, or Smith. Um, So that does include Mitch, Todd, Knox, Portis, Randall, Morris, RJ, and Frank. Of those players, like, Frank has the highest uh, on-off by far. He's a plus 6.1. The next closest guy is Portis, bizarrely, uh, plus 2.5. That's probably still from that ridiculous Bulls game he had. Um, And then, yeah, Randall is somehow a plus 0.9. But, like, you know, uh, for Frank to be that significant... Um, playing with the minutes he has in the lineups he has um, with the starters, like, yeah, I mean, that says a lot about the impact he's having, and we wouldn't have found this out, but, uh, like you said, unless everybody got injured.
1: No, you're right, and I think, you know, the same deal. Like, why did he wait to – I mean, didn't we learn last year that Damian Dawson's going to help you win games? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean seriously, like, 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 Fizzo, like it took Fizzo three months to figure that out, but then when he finally got on the lineup in January and February and he played the rest of the year – and he was legitimately one of the better players on the team.
0: Yeah. And
1: I, why he did not. I mean, maybe it was the shoulder, and that's why at the start of the year, but it's pretty clear that the dude's healthy. So I, I, I don't understand why there was a hesitance to, to put him in the game. And, you know, I, I wonder what's going to happen when Peyton gets healthy and Smith stays healthy. And, you know, this Frank's been, you know, he's, he's just. He's such a unique player, and his value would be so much better on a better team. And I think a lot of people that. Don't follow this stuff closely enough to lose that, which is unfortunate. Um, and, look, he still has a lot of work to do offensively. I think this catch-and-shoot game has been much, much better this year. Which frankly, if he doesn't get any better, at least he's going to be a catch and shoot three of DDI for the rest of his life, which is a good valuable asset to mm-hmm. be in the NBA. He still. Here, here's my problem with Frank right now, and I said this in the podcast with 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 Vassini. He plays like a six one player on offense. Yeah, he does. Like, dude, I said this you're six you, five. <laughs> Drop your effing shoulder into somebody, back them off, and go up on him. I mean, he step a walk on you? you, mouse in the house, dude. Go at him. I mean, go, go take advantage of that. And I think, you know, we're seeing him be a little bit more aggressive and, and it's getting better. But just go to the basket. You know, don't be afraid to penetrate into the paint. We saw that in the first half yesterday a little bit. Yeah. Throw a lob. Get up there. Just put the ball on the rim. Maybe Mitchell Robinson comes in and, and cleans it up for a dunk. So, look, those are things that he can get better I have still got to be more aggressive going to the basket. But, you know, he's just been good. And, you know, you mentioned earlier in the podcast how, you know, a lot of people that don't follow closely – don't understand the criticisms of him. And I, I'll give Zach Lowe some credit. Um, he did, did a podcast with everyone's, uh, with all Nick's yeah. favorite. Yeah, I
2: was not listening to that, that. podcast. man. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I
1: think he did. And, and, and Howard said the stuff you would imagine he would say. And Zach Lowe, I think if you can, like, fast forward past the Howard Beck parts, which I'm sure would, would, would drive you nuts. I like Howard, but I I, I, I like Howard. I understand why, why, why he drives Nick's fans nuts a little bit. But Zach Lowe actually said it. And remember, Zach Lowe like, he's, like, host shows on ESPN U.S. with Fisdale. And you know, Zach watches a lot of basketball. Goes, Look, yeah. this is the front office's fault. But, you know, we're through 100-plus games of David Fisdale as next coach. And he said this. I have no idea how he wants to play basketball. I don't right. know how he wants to organize things. I don't know, you know, does he want to be a defensive team? Does he want to be a motion team? Does he want to be a three-point unit team, a transition team? I have just no idea. I have no idea. He changes, and he actually said the studio goes. He literally changes the the, the basis of their defensive schemes once every four or five games. I yeah. mean, does he, does he want to track pick and roll? Does he want to switch, switch pick and roll? Does he want to switch everything? I mean, that's why we're playing I mean, a matchup no, zone. zone. Yeah, I, I don't get it. And by the way, he's playing the matchup zone. He's got his best defenders on the floor. It right. doesn't make a lick of <laughs> sense. I get it. If you're gonna throw out seven thots and you I mean it's Randall Dennis Smith and tree, you want to go to a zone? I get it. But if you had New York Times Dotson and Marcus Morris and Mitchell Robinson out there, why the hell are you playing in the Zonis?
0: Well, this is why when we talk about the broader picture, at least to me, when people are focusing on the front office being the problem. And like I get the argument, but I, Steve until, Nichols is always the problem. Just remember that. <laughs> I mean this okay, here, this is where I kind of disagree. With that, like, I get it, right? Like, I get that he's been with the organization in some capacity for very long. But this is, I think, only, what, year two or his th- third year ever being, like, president of basketball operations? Well, so so he was the president
2: when Isaiah was – and Walsh were here. But, like – I don't I, think that, he was. I, wasn't well, he – No, no.
1: He was the president of the garden, yeah. not president of basketball yeah. operations. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, he, he, was he wasn't – yeah, he
2: wasn't ever, like – this is the first time he's been the head honcho of like the basketball department um and I'm you know obviously he was the general manager under phil, so that that becomes hard to kind of like parse through what was him and what was Phil and all that stuff, so we don't like this is the first time where I think we can all say, yes, he's at the top of the food chain, and so ultimately like all these decisions come back to him um. Yeah, sorry, go ahead, Drew. Uh, yeah, uh, oh. yeah,
0: so I just wanted to kind of clear that up because I know people, like, he's been with the company, you know, the organization for, like, since 2003 or whatever. And it's like, no, it's not really, like, it's like a yes and no thing. It's, I think people kind of mischaracterize it. Until we actually see Fisdale put players in better positions, it's kind of hard for me just to be like, it's all on Steve Mills. Like, I get the roster is kind of clunky, but there's really no excuse for Julius Randle dropping, like, what, 10% in true shooting? Yeah, i got to look this up. Right, yeah. it's, it's something insane like no, that. Yeah, So Randle
2: Randall, Randall is at 48.1 true shooting this year. He was 60 the last two years. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, Fortress to me... He at 46.5 true shooting this year, and last year he was overall over two... With two different teams, he was basically a 53 true shooting. You know, like, those, these are massive...
1: Massive drops. You're and you know what the funny thing is? By the way, I looked at this about a week ago. Maybe it changed since then. I don't know. His, pers- his like shot play selection. Your MBK yeah. tracks how many 12% visos he has, post ups, and things like that. The numbers aren't much different than what they were in years past. The only things he's doing less of is being as a as a acting as a cutter, which huh. you know because obviously you know David Fizel's offense does not require cutting, and also <laughs> as as a as a pick and roll roll man. Which of course, you know, pick and roll spacing to get a proper roll in the basket is also something that apparently is is is, is very challenging to accomplish. Um yeah. at the NBA. But right. by the way, people by the way, here's another thing that bothers me: people are like Wait, you can't spread the floor with this roster. You can No. Oh way, my god. And by I the way, I
2: have lost my mind with this. I've lost my and, mind with this because it's like, like you said, dotson has been healthy, Ellington's been healthy, Morris has been healthy, Knox has been healthy. I don't really want to hear this. Like, is the spacing going to be – are we going to be the Rockets? No, we're not. Uh, are we going to be the prime warriors? Definitely not. But you can clearly spread the floor well enough at all times with those four healthy.
1: And, by the way, it's not like they tried and failed. It's not like they is not exist. That's, it. <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's try it and see if it works. Yeah, the best role man in the league is Mitchell Robinson. Another good one in Marcus Morris. I mean, another good one is Julius Randle. And they don't even – Try to do it. it, It's baffling.
0: That's my issue with it. And I know uh, I would say, enemy of the show, at least, we had to hear because he got into a pissy fit on Twitter with us, Scouts with Brian. He just. (laughs) Fucking save that guy. And he's just losing his mind. He's the idea of, like, well, no guard can shoot off and 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 penetrate. And penetrate, so everyone's going to go under. And. Like, in a vacuum, I conceptually understand the argument, right? But basketball doesn't happen in a vacuum, and not every defender is going to go under the screen every single time. And if they do go under the screen, great, and the players have to, you know, then shoot the yeah.
2: ball. And that's when Fisdale has to be like, shoot the ball or get the hell out. Because yeah. I'm like, and like that's, it, like that's if if you put Frank in that situation and he's still, like, not, not going to pull the... You know. Then I understand, like, the frustration with him, and I, I'm totally with that. I have... I have been frustrated many times with Frank. I've criticized Frank before. I think that he needs to be a more consistent offensive player. There's no doubt about that. But, like, you know, uh, I mean, at the same time, it's like, who are we? We're not putting anybody in a position. Like, we're not using anybody in a position where they would be optimized, right? Like, like RJ Barrett should be running 10 pick and rolls a game, okay? Correct, like, yeah. Frank should be running, like, even, like, I understand the argument that, like, He's not, a, he's not really a lead guard, and RJ is kind of that, so Frank is just kind of, like, helping them get organized. Cool, whatever. Guess what? Secondary ball handlers should still be, like, running pick five, and rolls. six pick-and-rolls a game. Like, Dennis the Junior, we ran pick-and-roll against, you know, uh, Dallas with him and Mitchell Robinson, and it was like mana from heaven. All of a sudden, he could remember how to play basketball again. Uh, like, this is not complicated stuff. Your three youngest, best ball handlers are all best in pick and roll. And they're and by good the in
1: way, it. Frank was good in pick and roll with people over the summer. He was just fine, by the
2: way. He, he's been good in pick and roll since his rookie season. Yeah, um, like, he, like
0: he's great with like, pocket passing. He knows how to hit the person yeah. perfectly on a on a not a, on a pop pass. Like he knows what to do. The Knicks just don't run it, and I think that's why I'm not going to be so I, critical on Mills right now until and Randall still puts really. people in better positions. And like, by I the way, I
1: will throw this out there too: Randall needs the stop. Thinking 3 pick and pop guy. Jesus. Like, there's too many times when he sets a screen and he just stands at the three-point line. No, 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 no. You need to start rolling to the basket.
0: There. Well, he's not really setting a screen. He's kind of just like standing in the way, and then he floats his way behind the three-point line. That's I'm,
1: true. I'm really happy he posted that
2: picture of him lifting like seven thousand pounds worth of chains this summer because <laughs> it, it, it's really working on the screen game where he makes no contact <laughs> with anybody. Um, but like that, to me, like again, like this, that's the stuff. I'm sorry, but this, is, this was a problem I had going back to last year where nobody was making contact on screens. Uh, and then, like, DeAndre came in, whatever, after that trade, and, like, all of a sudden uh, you see Mitch at least, like, start nudging people on screens a little bit and rolling better and everything. Um, and it's like now, like, Julius Randle, like you just said, he's picking and popping, and it's like the man was, is an elite role man. OK, that's what he was great at in New Orleans and in L.A. And like this off ball cutter who is dynamic, like you get him in motion running into the into the paint like nobody wants to get in front of him. He's just an absolute load. And like the way we're using him now is so like I, I, it's, even, I if we were trying to use him as a pick and roll ball handler more, I might I'd probably be happier than what we're doing because we're what we're doing is just like pretending he's prime mellow. And using him like that, and we're just like, yeah, dude, just like ISO at the elbow and face up, and you know, take this guy, take this guy to school. It's like that's. You the know, rock. hold on, I I, I,
1: gotta, I, I, don't understand why you're, why you're, why you're mad about the big isolation. It's the Rock is isolated all the time. <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> that was such a
2: ridiculous defense of like.
1: It was the dumbest thing I ever heard. It was, it was it's, literally. It's, it's concerning. The
2: thing. It's, it's concerning though because like he, je- he actually believes that. Oh, he and, definitely like, believes and, that. And so, like, I have actually, I, I, you can like, ask Drew, like, I, I've said this for like years, but like, I think isolation score, like, isolation is not bad in and of itself, and like, isolation scoring is to me like the, the most premium skill you can have. Like, if you're good, if you're a good isolation scorer, it's like there are going to be games where there's just nothing that, like, there's nothing the defense can do,
1: right? And you need uh, it in the playoffs. That right. you need it at the end of the right, course. exactly. So I,
2: so I appreciate that, like. We don't have that on this roster, really. Like, Marcus Morris is probably our best isolation scorer, right? Which is to basically say, we don't have a good isolation score. Yeah, correct. Um, but, like, it's so, like, the thing is, if you look at this roster, and I was telling people this at the meetup, kind of, like, during, um, in between beers, uh, on Thursday during the Mavericks game, but it's like, if you were looking at the roster coming into the season, right? You would have looked at it and you'd have been like, okay, even if I absolutely maximize, my offense, I'm not, well, how do I do that? Okay. It's not going to be isolating. It's not going to be like definitely not isolating Julius Randle and posting up Bobby Portis. But, and like, like what we're doing basically is using Morris and Randle and Portis as like the fulcrums of what we're building the offense around. And see, like, that's where I get what, uh, you know, the point that Vicini made on your pod about like the front office might have you know, there's expectations that come with signing these guys and, like, they all expect to play minutes. And I am totally understanding of that and I am sympathetic to it. What I'm not sympathetic to is, I, like, even if you told Julius Randle we were going to build the offense around you, that's fine. That doesn't mean that you have to build it around him, like, pretending he's Kevin Durant, right? Like, you can build it around using him in his, like, to his strengths. And then, like, the more annoying thing is we see stuff that works, that is, like, actually pretty creative. Like, in that in the Orlando game, I remember we ran these Mitch-Julius Randle four or five pick-and-rolls, and they were yeah. great. And it's like, I haven't seen any of that since then. And, like, yeah, Mitch has been hurt for a period of that, but he hasn't been hurt the entire time, and they've played minutes together since then. And it's like, I've never seen that again.
0: It's not like you can't do that with Bobby Portis and Randall either. Like, you could do that. They just instead they're posting up Portis instead of, like, running him as, like, a screen guy. Like, there's other.
2: You could run pick and pop with them, right? Exactly. And I I just. It's it's the stuff like that. And, like, that goes back to what you mentioned and what Lowe mentioned is, like, how do we want to play? What do we want to be? What is the idea of this team? And it's like, you look at the roster coming into the season and. You know, after that Celtics game, I remember the Celtics game, not the not the first one where everybody, I I, that was a blowout, but I actually think that was like just a weird situation with the crowd and everything. Um, but the second one when we lost in Boston on the Tatum game winner, um, like I thought Fizz had kind of like, okay, I had these eight guys, I want to like I want to play them, and um, and, and like it was a good defensive rotation. And I was like, I remember after that game, I was like, all they have to do now is work in uh, Dotson into that rotation, and um, when whenever Alfred or Dennis Smith get back, play them so that we have two point guards, at least, in the rotation. That's like a good 10-man rotation. Sure. And I like how we... And what does he do? What did he do the next fucking game? The very next game against the Kings, what does he do? Oh, I got to get Randall right, so I'm going to start Portis. Why? Why? Like shouldn't Julius Randle should be figuring out how to get right with around the rest of the team the rest of the team should not be catered to getting Julius Randle right because Julius Randle is not some like like elite star talent I I, I'm happy that he put up 21 and 9 or whatever the hell it was last year but he's not an elite star talent everybody knew this so to treat him and give him like this kind of Put him on a fucking pedestal like that is just absurd to me. It's not feasible, and that is coaching. That is about the coaching to me. Because sure, i'm the front office would have would have promised him a prominent role. I highly doubt they were like, "Yeah, we're gonna run 15 isolations for you a game." No, they were probably like, "Look, we're gonna use you a ton. We want to have you be a key part of this team moving forward." and and we want to, you know, uh, ha- build more of the offense around you than you've had a chance so far. Sure. So I can understand a drop in his efficiency. I expected it, you know. Like, you go from being a third option at best, mostly an off-ball player, to kind of a more prominent position on a team that doesn't have the greatest, um, most developed guard talent, let's just say. Like, of course you're going to see a drop in efficiency. So, but, you know, 60 to 48, is that's more That's more than an adjustment to roll. That's going <clears throat> be... Completely mismanaged. And then, like, you and, know, and, like you mentioned.
1: And, and the problem is that he, he didn't get he to the free throw line either, which is still insufficiency. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that was his strength. That was his biggest strength was getting to the free throw line because they get, they would run him downhill off screens or off pick and rolls. And just they stopped doing that. And it's like that was his game. And that's what I actually thought the Knicks were going to do moving forward was just have guys just crash the lane and start generating, like, foul shots. And they just kind of stopped doing that. Like, that's what I thought the identity was going to be. It was just going to be, you know, attack, attack, attack. And they're, like, attacking in the worst possible way.
2: Yeah, and, I mean, this just goes back to, like, there are so many structural – okay, so I'm just using Fizz's words, right? This is what he said multiple times on the record since he was appointed head coach of the New York Knicks. He wants to play fast. He wants to shoot threes. And he wants to play aggressive, like on ball defense. Those are the three things he really wants to do. Um, we shot 23s last night, okay? 23s. <laughs> uh, we are like, I think our pace is basically the same as it was last year, which is a bottom 5 to 10 in the league. Uh, yep. there is no structure in our early offense or in our transition offense to, um, produce threes or get going downhill. Like, we don't every, – every other team in the league runs, like, drag screens, double drag screens, high pick and roll early in the clock. Just as like, you might not get anything out of it, but you might. And so it's just worth doing. And, like, we don't do it at all. What do we do? We bring the ball up. Someone passes it to the wing. We run some bullshit dribble handoff. And then, like, it's just – it's telegraphed. Every, our entire offense is so telegraphed. Everybody knows what's coming. There's no, like, you know, there's no counters to anything. And it's just frustrating to watch, because it's like, I don't think that you could do great things with those roster, but I would sure as hell think that you should be better than 3-10 and 10 with the schedule we've played. And, you know, um, it's like, do I care about the wins and losses that much? No. But the reason we're 3-10 and 10 is because our underlying metrics suck, and like, I do care about those, because they tell me a lot about the coach. And yeah, yeah three point shooting and all that stuff, it's just like unacceptable to me how ancient and old this offense looks
1: at the same time i understand skepticism in firing Fisnell now it's funny it almost has nothing to do with the job he's done i will say this i do think firing any coach 10 games into a season especially on a rebuilding roster is probably not the best thing to do um giving a little bit more time i think makes sense just and look, I know last season was also a disaster. I'm not arguing that, <laughs> but I do think I, I do think it reflects poorly on an organization to make a move in the NBA after 10 games. I just think it's a bad look. I don't think people like it, and I do think part of the deal here, and we said you, know, you guys will talk about this, I talked about it, is that this year you want to try to show that you're a normal organization, that you're not chaotic, that you do things the right way, and the way you don't do that is have the owner force the GM and the president. <laughs> and to come out 10 games into a season and hold a press conference that looked like the hostage video out of the mountains in Afghanistan. (laughs) You know, generally that's that's not what players like when, when they come to a team. You know, the hostage videos, it's usually not on the top of their priority list. So I think that's bad. So I do think there is value in stability, but I do think you get to a point where you say, is this guy actively holding back the guys on the team were trying to develop from learning to play the right way. The question is, when is that time going to come? And my guess, it's going to come at some point after that West Coast trip, which is in the middle of December, at the end of this just brutal gauntlet against good teams that's going to take place, I think, from about November 20th to about December 15th, and it'll be somewhere around the, the probably going to be somewhere around 4 and 18, give or take. Yes. That's when the move going to get me.
2: Yeah. Um, I So, I have like multiple thoughts on this, and I guess maybe this can, like, we can move on more to discussing the front office. Um, yeah, we do that. So, like, my thinking with this is, okay, look, they hired Fisdale. I think it's, I, I've seen enough at this point that I think that it was a bad... It was a bad hiring, okay? He, it's a bad hiring. It, it, then, that sucks. The Knicks have not had great success with hiring good
1: coaches at and all. And by the way, one thing I want to add to that real quick is that people, mm-hmm. they, 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 they pass up Mike Bootholzer. I'm no. not sure Mike Bootholzer is picking the Knicks over the parkside. No. no, I mean, no. I, I, think, I, think
2: he, I think he was using the Knicks in some way yes. for the message. Uh, like, because he left Atlanta because they were rebuilding and he didn't want to rebuild. They had... Uh, that season, so, like, yeah, like, I don't, and, like, Chris Topps was out, so, we knew going into that season, the Knicks were not going to be good, like, we knew that, it was a rebuilding season, and they leaned into it, like, they were so obviously tanking from the beginning, because they were like, yeah, this year is about development, we're just here, this is just about development, I'm like, alright, man, I, I, I've been around, I've been, I've been following the NBA long enough to know what that means, like, that, that's fine, I didn't care, um. So we knew that, and like, yeah, I, yeah. So I just don't see how Bud takes that. Anyway, uh, so like, okay, they 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 hire Fizz. I I have a feeling that internally, uh, at least at the front office level last year, they may have been concerned, like we were, with a lot of the things that we were seeing, um, from the team under Fizz. And I view the Mike Miller appointment as one. I think they were hoping that. His addition may help Fizz, like maybe Fizz would listen to him more and give him more input. Um, but I also think, in a way, that it was a hedge um, against the potential of, uh, you know, firing Fizz. And I, where I, what I don't understand, I guess, is or I get it. I get why the optics are bad, but I don't think firing Fizz would be reactionary at all. I actually think it's a proactive move. No, and, I agree with that. And, and and the key is, if you're Dolan, it should be like, look, you guys can do whatever you want at the head coaching position this year. There's just two conditions. Like, you guys need to know this. You will not be making a permanent head coaching decision this season at all. Uh, like, you get to appoint an in interim, and that interim will coach the rest of the year. Second, your jobs. Are under review based on the performance of the team. Because if you're telling you, whatever, I, like the one thing we know, Zach Lowe mentioned this in an article before the season. Um, he had talked to people in the Knicks and he said that there was a feeling that they were pushing for like 35 wins, which I think is a bit optimistic. Uh, yeah. I had them at like 30, and even then, I think when I said it, I was like, I'm optimistic, but like, you know, whatever. It's just. Like and, it's and by cool.
1: the way, I, and, and I think your 30 was probably contingent on Randall being good and Dennis Smith Jr. <laughs> playing well. Yeah,
2: it was contingent on that, and, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and me being a delusional homer. Um, but, like, yeah, I, I said 30 wins, and I don't, I, I really don't think 30 wins is that absurd, and it's, like, if that's absurd. No, it's not. I had
1: him at 28.
2: Yeah, right. So it's, like, I think most of us were kind of, like, in the same page of, like, just be a normal bad team. You're right. a normal bad rebuilding team, and we're happy. And we're, like, we're getting waxed at home by the Kings, by the Cavs by uh, we go to on the road and Kobe White lights us up like he's Steph Curry and it's like Devonte Graham gets 16 threes in the game half of them are wide open what are we doing here um, like
1: zone like
2: yeah. like I <laughs> uh, I see that stuff and I'm like okay so I think it's reasonable to fire him at a point in interim but you have to have these conditions where you tell the front office like look like you're not off the hook here right because like let's let's say let's say they let's say they they. Push Dolan. I, I, had, I don't think the reaction from Dolan is was because of wins and losses. For the record, like I do think it was about the just general how it looked. I mean that Cavs game. Uh, how about quality
1: looked, of play? Do you want to go yeah. quality of play? How about that?
2: Yeah. I mean that that Cavs game was like it oh, was a exactly. professional. It was a professional embarrassment. We looked completely out coached, out tactic. It was it wasn't even a, a talent thing. It was just a total you know. Difference in coaching, uh, John Beilein, my boy. But um, coach, man, a great coach. Um, so, you know, like, it just if you're not getting that, then you have, then like, that's the standard, right? That I think that we should be holding them to, like, 30, 35 win pace, be competitive. That's what they wanted to be. I think that they had, like, maybe slightly optimistic, but I think their what their goal was was not unreasonable. They weren't like, you, you got to make the playoffs this year. Um, I, right. Like, yeah. I, I, so I, I think that if you appoint interim, that's how that's the standard you should hold. And like even if they meet that standard under an interim head coach, I don't think that nec- that necessarily means that they should keep their jobs. But I, I think that like, that's the way to go about like handling this whole situation. I don't think it makes sense to fire a front office in the middle of the season. No, uh, it
0: does. Yeah.
2: yeah like I, like e- even if you just want to like if you want to even, like, let them know that they're dead men walking and be like, look, you guys are just here to take calls and, like, do the basic due diligence, but you're not going to be here long-term, I'm fine with that. Like, I think that's that's totally okay. I, we did that basically with uh, Steve Mills before, when before we hired Phil Jackson. Um, you know, like, I, I, if you're going to fire them, it should happen after the trade deadline. That's why my stance on it. Um,
1: and, and, by the way, th- th- there should be a third condition for the front office. You listed two. You're not trading for Chris Paul, right? right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> unless unless you're getting like you know
2: four, three first round picks or something, then yeah,
1: yeah. But the Knicks don't do trades like that.
2: No, they don't. No, they don't. Oh. Uh, yeah. So it, it's like I, yeah, I actually I I'm a little bit more. I think they've drafted well. Um, I like I like, think that they are actually good at that. I know that people have like questions about Kevin Knox and you know R.J. Barrett's efficiency and all this stuff, but like I think that they.
1: It's been fine. It's yeah, been fine. It hasn't been great, but it's been fine.
2: I mean, Mitch was a great pick. Um, I'm not a big Trier fan, but as an undrafted free agent, I think that shows an eye for scouting and talent. Um, yeah, like, I, I'm, I'm fine with their drafting. And
1: now, I will great. say this real quick about their drafting. I think Sam DeCeney made this point to me on the podcast on The Bank Shot. Yeah, um, yeah, okay. They seem to prioritize <laughs> all the offensive players. Which they is kind of a problem, they, you know, because if you look at it, the only two good, you know, Barrick's turned out to be a pretty good defender. I've been impressed with him. But if you look at the other two A players in the backcourt, Neal Keenan and Dotson, they were drafted by Phil Jackson. And everyone else, you know, whenever they see the value players, they're like, oh, Bobby Portis, he can score. Kevin Knox, he can score. Oh, that's great. He can do this. But no one ever cares about, like, passing and defense and so, things like that, which is a problem.
2: Like it, I know in, like, I'm not a big baseball guy, but I know in baseball there's always, like, this... I remember there always used to be, like, this kind of, like, a meme, but it's, like, you know, old scouts would be, they'd get so obsessed with, like, five tool players, but they would, like, totally miss on the actual metrics of their production, like, and it's, Mm -hmm. like, that's kind of what I think they do, where they're, like, they're too into upside, I think, with certain guys, Um, and, like, you know it's fine that you want to have like your you know your your ballers your you know your shot makers and i i get that you need that obviously and it's fine to bet on that stuff but like you also have to value glue guys and guys that fill in around them and i'm not sure if the, i don't think they do that appropriately and the free agency was like kind of a mixed bag with that but it was like the guys that i think that they really liked like in free agency um were more of like those you know, the the concerning, like, obsession with shot creation and scoring and all that stuff, Um, whereas, like, the guys that I liked them signing were, like, you know, Marcus Morris and Todd Gibson and Wayne Ellington, right? Like, I was, like, and Bullock. Like, I you know, that guy's been through a lot. Um, Pretty, I'm excited. I hope he is in a better place and, like, can get healthy and just gets on the court because he is a good player. Um, But I liked those four signings a lot more than I liked, like, Peyton. And Portis. I mean, I liked Randall. I can't say I didn't. Um, I think it was a I, I, it was a good bet. But if you just signed those four and Randall, I would be very happy. Like, um, but it's like then you add Peyton, who is, he's not a ball hog, but he's like he is a ball dominant guard. Um, like his entire value is off of penetration, right? And it's right. like if you drafted R.J. Barrett why would you want that type of point guard? I don't know. Especially when you already can't shoot, too. Yeah, yeah, right. And you already have Frank, and you already have Dennis Smith Jr., who you should want to develop more than Payton, which is, like, that's that's a Scott Perry red flag, right? Second year in a row that we're, like, signing one of his fuck-ups in Orlando and trying to salvage their career. Uh, (laughs) So I don't know what that's about. Uh, Yeah, I I don't know. It's like... But, like, I would say overall with the front office, this is my thing. With Since Scott Perry has come in, I think we've operated very differently. I think we've operated, like, much more... Like a normal team. Yeah, much more like a normal team. And I think our approach has been good in the sense of, like, I think they do value the right things. I think they do appropriately value first-round picks now. I do think that they appropriately value maintaining cap flexibility and not, you know, losing your mind just because you can't get a couple of stars. I think that those are good things. But yes. they're also like bare minimum things that we should expect of a front office.
1: You know, I, I'm really happy you said that. I think people and fans this year lowered the bar so much for what a good front office is. Look, just not being stupid shouldn't be the bar of, oh, yeah, the minutes are set now. You know, <laughs> you know seriously, they managed to tear down the roster, right? That's the that's, that's fairly easy part of all this. It's using the assets you have now. To, to turn the team into something good. That's the tough part. That's what I'm going to judge these guys on, not how they strip the roster down and, you know, spend tax base on one of your that's a That's something a rookie GM should be able to do. Now, you know, so I think people need to, you know, relax on oh, all yeah, the Knicks, You know, they finally have the front office figured out. Just because they're not the worst in the league doesn't mean that they're in good shape.
2: Yeah. Right, and
1: and like, and
2: you know, like we just talked about, there's some concerning things about what do they value, how do they build a roster. Like we've seen that, we've all talked about it. You know, I think, be it on this pod today or like even on Twitter, I think we've, you know, mentioned that stuff all the time. Um, like so that stuff is concerning to me. And then at the same time, I'm like, okay, I want to see how they adjust to how the season plays out because that. Like what I said, I remember I wrote this before free agency last year, um, because I wrote that I wrote this like huge three-part thing of like what the Knicks should do if they don't get stars, and I was like, you know, we're gonna learn way more about Scott Perry and this front office um, in the event that we don't get stars. We're gonna learn a lot about them right. in the next year, in the tr- like moving to the trade deadline of this this season, um, because like. I'm, I'm of the opinion that, like, yes, this season has gotten off to a terrible start, but I would like to see how, how do you pivot, how do you adjust, how, what, how do your plans change? Like, like to me, if I'm them right now, I'd be like, look, whatever, this shit didn't work, but we, we know that R.J. Barrett can play, okay? We know that Frank is, I mean, look, I'm just going to I think he's playing right now for the 300 minutes he's played this year, he's playing at an all-NBA first-team defense level. Like, that's the level of de- defense he's giving you nightly. Yes, mm, I agree. Uh, and he's 21, right? And Like, whatever, that's great. <clears creepy. throat> Knox is he's still very much a project, but he's a project now that I think has figured out, like, what his lane is, what is the role that he needs to play as he develops his off-the-dribble game. He's not forcing his off-the-dribble game now, which is nice to see. And that three-point shot is... Beautiful to watch. Uh, hey, it'd
1: be nice if you could actually see him at power forward once in a while, but that's not yeah. the story. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and and then Mitch is Mitch, right? So that's like four guys. It's four guys right there that are they're under, under rookie scale contracts that are twenty one and younger. Even Dennis Dennis Smith, I'm not I am not as down on him as maybe others were. I think the, his whole season has been weird. That he was clearly hurt first of all,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, and then we don't know what was going on with his stepmom. I'm sure that that was a condition that he had maybe been aware of for a while beforehand. Um, right. It didn't seem like something that just sprung up. So, um, you know, I you never know. And he's a young kid, man. Like, that's obviously something very hard to go through. It doesn't matter how old you are. Um, so, like, you know, these are young players. We have five, those five guys, five first-round picks, basically, uh, Mitch being a second-rounder. But, like, those are, like, legit young players that can develop into something. Like, I, I'm okay with... Like we should look at that, the front office should look at that and be like look, we tried with these vets, we get it but instead of building this team with like the vet, like the young guys fit around the vets, we need to lean into, let's build this team, like RJ Barrett is a potential franchise player, lean into that that should be the entire focus like, how, what vets do we have, we signed all these vets which vets make sense to help us develop our young core most okay, like and that's why, in my opinion, I want to keep Marcus Morris, even beyond this season, because I think he is a player that makes sense with those young guys. And can, And I, like I mentioned before, he plays this competitive edge that I think is It's something that you need to learn, how hard it is to win in the NBA every night. Um, and you need that around these guys. And I like Taj. I, I would keep Todd even after this year. I don't care that he's overpaid. We're not doing anything with the fucking cap space next summer anyway.
0: It doesn't matter. Yeah, Correct. yeah. No,
2: and no. and it's like, I I like Ellington. I like Bullock. I, I would trade Ellington because I don't think he matters, but, like, I I like him as a vet with this team. And it's like, I would trade Randall before I traded Morris, to be honest, because I just don't like how Randall fits in with this team, and I don't like that, like, we seem to be wanting to force him to be something that he's not. So, like, if that's going to be how we're going to use him, then we should get rid of him. Um, and Portis should be gone after this year. Oh, and yeah. It's like, and, like, and that's fine. But, like, just lean into what is so blindingly obvious to fans. Like, I think we would all be so much happier watching the, a team, even if they were 3-10, if it was just, like, the R.J. Barrett show every night. And if it was, like, Mitch getting 10, 15 screens a game and rolling to the rim all those times and getting seven lob dunks a game, like, we would be so much happier watching that, and like, It'd I just want be better. I just want to see like like, RJ, Frank, Knox, Mitch on the floor all the time, I want to see those four with Dennis Smith and a small ball lineup, like, these are the things that we should be wanting to see, and really, for the the long term health of the franchise, it's much more important than however the fuck people perceive your free agency, because ultimately, you know, w- what I've said is, if the if you fire the front office today and you tell whoever you hire after that, hey, look, whoever applies to this job, you have carte blanche, do whatever you want with this roster moving forward. Uh, you get to appoint everybody you want in the front office. That's you give them a blank slate. There will be a lot of GMs interested in this roster because it's not a bad situation long term at all. You got a
1: no,
2: you got a shit ton of cap flex. You got a pretty solid young core. Uh, with a few very interesting talents. You got. All your picks moving forward, and you got the two Dallas picks. Like it's a good situation for a guy for a rebuilding team. It's not like it's not like the the rebuilding situations of Knicks teams of yesteryear, which have just right. been like these salvages, like these extreme deep dump salvages that you're trying to do. Um. So like I don't know. I I guess where I am with the front office is I am still in a I'm not I'm like apathetic at the moment to them. Um i don't think they nailed free agency. I think they actually did some problematic shit in free agency um I don't think they have created a situation that they can't salvage to an extent this season um and I'm willing to see how they adjust but to me like you know the- the where I am with them is they have until the trade deadline to show me something with this team because um you know, as things currently stand, the performance is underwhelming, and there are free agent signings, whether that be because of the coach they hired um, or other reasons are have been underwhelming in a lot of ways.
1: Here's where I am. Um, before the year, I would have told you, yeah, definitely, trade Marcus Morris to the trade deadline. I'm like you, I'm not as anxious to do that anymore. If a team comes calling, though, and you yeah. take pick between 20 and 25 or 20 and 27, do I rethink that? I might have to because, look, I know it doesn't happen much. You could always just go and pay him again in the off season if you want. He is a free agent, so I would consider that. But I understand your hesitance. I would not trade him for a second round pick. That I would. Not yeah. Do. yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, it, there, there's no, there's nothing like there's no absolute right. Like, correct. Like, I'm frank, like, but I like in the in a right scenario, I would trade him. Um, like it's stuff like that. Like, there's nobody on this roster other than RJ and Mitch that I am basically like hundred percent. You know, like in any realistic scenario they're not on the table unless you're telling me like Giannis is dying to be a nick or something. Okay. Uh like like yeah, everybody else, like Marcus Morris, I don't want to trade him. And like you know, basically what it is is what I would trade him for I don't think we're gonna get. So yeah, I at agree that point, that. it's like whatever, let me just keep the guy because he seems to actually give a shit and um you know, he sets a good example and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, and then Randall, I'm not quite willing to hmm. give up on him yet. Um, I have not liked what I've seen. All the bad parts of this game have shown up here, and the scoring efficiency hasn't. Um, I do think, like we've talked about at Nauseam here, that if you use him properly, some of that scoring efficiency can come back. So, And I do think they need him to an extent, because, look, this team's offensively extinct. I mean, as good as RJ Barrett is. He's not, he wasn't an efficient player. Dude. He's not going to be an efficient player. As a, as a rookie in the NBA, and that's fine. I didn't expect him to be, I and mean, you shouldn't hold him to that standard, but it's an a realistic one. The old team is still not an efficient scorer. Kevin Knox, if he's not shooting threes, has not shot him. the ball at <laughs> an efficient rate. He just has it, but he's been a good spot-up shooter, and that's fine. So they do actually, I think, need – that's why I just lost this. And I think, look, I think you either have to sign D'Angelo Russell or you have to sign Julius Randle, because you needed somebody, I think, to take yeah, – An upside play. The offense. Exactly. Take some of the offensive pressure off these other guys because mm-hmm. frankly they, they they're just not there yet and and that's okay it's fine they it don't have to be they're like they're 20 and 21 years old okay it's cool so mm-hmm. I, I I do think they need him but boy I, I think they need to rethink how they're using him because so, right now he is a, it, it's it's been a big problem
2: would you trade for D'Angelo Russell? Within we three years
1: we in debate off,
2: this. Or we see a full four? It's a full four, I think. But we, we've debated four. this. We've talked about this a lot in our Slack. So I'm just curious because I, I didn't want. I've never been a big D'Lo fan. It's not because I. He has actually turned into a good player. My, That's my good worry, point. yeah. But my worry with him is always just like I net. I, I don't see the, the scoring efficiency upside with him because of just because of like the. He's work. an athlete.
1: Right. Yeah,
2: yeah. And he doesn't get to the rim and he takes a bunch right. of like mid-range pull-ups. Um, like I see him more as like an elite scoring sixth guard, like, that's the role where I think he can be on a championship team. I don't see him as an elite starting point guard. That isn't, but, like, you know, I mean, I guess for us, yeah, I guess. So would you trade for him, like, in the right scenario? If you're just, like, if they're just, like, let's just give us Marcus Morris, uh, Portis, and, like, I don't know, Dotson or something like that, and maybe, maybe, and the and the 23 Dallas pick. If that was the deal.
1: Uh, you know, it's a, re- it, it, it's a really good question. Um, I'm hanging on the phone. Can I, get, can I get two more months to see what I have in Dennis Fitz Jr. yet? I mean, yes. honestly, yes. If, if, if if I get to February and Dennis Fitz Jr. still looks like he doesn't want to play basketball 75% of the time, then I would, I just, let's be honest, for 80% of the time it looks like he doesn't know how to play basketball this year. Um, But I would think about it. The problem is that does he take, too much of the gravity and the ball Handling away from Barrett yeah, I was always exactly kind of on the I, was kind of, I know he does I, <laughs> kind of, I was kind of You know I was just so desperate for the team not to be just, you know, so awful again. That Look, if they get Russell, they're a 30-35 to 35 win team, easily. Yeah,
2: and, like, Absolutely. their offense is probably at least, like, it'll be closer to 20 than dead last. So. Right, and, and,
1: and if the Knicks finish the season ranked 20th in offense and 20th in defense, that's, that, that, that's really good progress, right?
2: Yeah, that's so, solid. And you got, like, a bunch of young guys.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think it depends what you're going to prioritize. If you really want to... You know, do better and win more games in the next two years to be more attractive in free agency in 2021. Then, yeah, I guess so. But uh, I think you would, you, I would make sure I don't give up anything of value in a trade like that.
0: Yeah, I would give up. I would give up absolutely nothing for D'Angelo Russell. You guys are absolutely insane. Like, he's not good. I'm sorry, he's not a good player. He's getting paid like 30 million dollars to jack up. You know, mid-range shots and shoot as efficient as Emmanuel Mudiay. Like, and he doesn't play defense.
1: Oh, he, he's more efficient than Mudiay. Come on,
0: and look at those true shooting last year and tell me. Yeah, but he's uh,
2: 57 this year.
0: Yeah, I don't care. I'm I'm <laughs> using last year's stats. It's I don't I don't want anything well, to do. He's actually been
2: getting he's actually been getting to the line a shit ton this year. Or not a shit ton, but way more this year.
0: That's well. Do you do you trust David Fisdale to actually be a good coach to no, pull like, that out?
2: But like, but like, well, isn't like the the point is we. Let's assume let's assume Fizdale's gone. See, so Mike Miller's interim head coach right now. Like and the thing is like okay, Fisdale sucks whatever. You can't like not make moves that you think a better coach would get more out of just because Fisdale sucks. Like then just fire like just fire Fizdale, which I think
0: uh, yeah. That's, yeah, that should be the solution. What I'm, what I'm saying is is that instead of focusing on maybe, like, training for a guard like D'Angelo Russell, how about use Julius Randle correctly before we even consider yeah. the idea of oh, so bringing in different guards and stuff like that? Like, that's kind of my issue with the whole framing of, like, a D'Angelo Russell type of argument. It's just, like, have a coach that realized that Julius Randle should be setting screens and holding him accountable for setting screens and holding him accountable for not playing defense 48 minutes a game. Yeah, I,
2: I mean, I mean the, the major thing for me is, like, say whatever you want about what the front office did this summer. I just don't think that, like, we're even getting a, an honest appraisal of it because of how Dill's coaching, which is, like – and, like, that's – like, you can ha- – those are two separate problems, right? You can be like, I don't like anything the front office did this summer. Okay, fine. That doesn't mean that, like, the head coach just gets a pass and, like, you don't evaluate him. Like, people tried to say this shit last year. Oh, we were tanking, so uh, you just get a- it was a free year. Like, no, that's not how it works. You don't get free years in the NBA. Like, I still have to evaluate you on what you did and what you did was not good last year like I don't know what you're trying to accomplish and like I still don't um yeah I don't I, I I'm like very I'm so desperate for a like a, a like a just a, a quality offensive point card but it's like I feel like that desperation is sometimes m- makes us want Things that aren't necessarily as good as we need them to be.
1: Exactly. Uh, but but at the same time, D'Angelo Russell is not Tim Hardaway Jr. No, I mean no. Tim Hardaway Jr. is D'Angelo Russell was a volume scorer that shoots that 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 does it at league average efficiency. I do think that there's some value to that because other guys can't even get to that level. So here's here's the thing with D'Angelo Russell. His passing this is really good too now. No, 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 I I think he's actually – I've always liked his passing, even when he was back at Ohio State. To me, the thing that makes me hesitant on D'Angelo Russell, I believe that there is a pretty hard ceiling of how good you can get if he's your number one guy. But I also think he gives you a higher floor. So I think that's kind of what you're looking at if you make a move like that. But I think you guys made a good point. I don't think you do anything, you think about anything like that until you get at the trade deadline, you have a better feel for Dennis Smith Jr., you see where R.J. Barrett is, you see where Randall is, and then you can make a decision like that. But I would not trade future draft assets in a trade for him under any circumstances.
0: Yeah, he, just does, he just does nothing for me. I've never liked the player. He just he just, yeah. just keeps confirming it.
2: Yeah, Plus. Plus, he went to Ohio State, so fuck him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like, we don't,
0: we don't, we don't want any Ohio State players on the, uh, on the team. We don't
2: the like game. their kind around here.
0: No, we don't. We're not big uh, fans of uh, the state of Ohio either. So,
2: okay. um, just gonna throw so, that out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so should we talk about our our Latvian friend that visited? Sure.
0: Oh yeah, let's uh, <laughs> yeah, let's get into that. So, um, unfortunately, due to the heartbreaking loss and the, you know incredible timeout play that David Finstall drew up to uh, end the Charlotte game, which was a masterclass of coaching. Uh, the Knicks did win a game, and they beat the Dallas Mavericks at home, and it was just beautiful to watch because those beautiful New York Knicks fans were booing Porzingis every single time he touched the ball. And it was bad. Oh, boy, it was, it was
2: bad. Oh, you it, were there, right?
0: Yeah, I was there, and, I, and, and, and,
1: and I've been at a few of those, boo the player every time he touches the games. That was probably the loudest one I've been at. It was, it was rough.
0: Yeah. Oh, he, and he deserved it, and it was wonderful, and I just want to point out that Porzingis was brought in for the last, like, five minutes of the game, and, you know, this was a tight game, too, and they need, you know, Dallas needs that extra, like, scoring valve, because it can't just be Luka, and Porzingis went over for one and he got subbed out for Dwight Powell, because <laughs> he was awful, and his one shot was this really poorly like, fade-away, off-balance, like, contested mid-range shot, which we've seen so many times in uh, New York. Um, I thought it was just, like, it was just a classic example of just, like, everyone's been overhyping Porzingis. We fell into that situation when he was with New York, and we were, you know, victims to it. And then I think we all, like, got smart. But we did it a lot of like underground, I would say, (laughs) in a way, where like we weren't like publicly saying it, but like privately between people, like, yeah, Poison Games isn't that good. And we're kind of seeing that right now with uh, Dallas. He's just, he's slower and he's doing the same exact shit he was doing in New York, just a slower version of it. And that, and they, and Dallas maxed him out for like five years. That's, I don't think that's going to hold up well. Yeah, I, go ahead, go go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead.
1: Yeah,
2: I, I, my big, I just never like, I think people's perception of, him is so weird, because like, his shot creation just sucks.
1: Like, it's it, No, it yeah, does. It, it's yeah. not good.
2: Like, all he can do, if you if you're just giving him the ball, is like, it's all mid-range pull-up, like, finesse kind of stuff, and I really don't see it improving. Like, I just don't see how that part of his game becomes much... He, he just has to become a really elite mid-range shooter like that. That's frankly what he needs to do because he's Correct. he's just never going to be this overpowering big man that like can just like body guys into the hoop like the 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 best big men in the league do. Uh, the most efficient scoring big men all generally can do that to an extent. Um, and and then like you know you're talking about maxing a guy second max a second like he's he's going to be like their essentially their second max player because obviously Luca at some point is going to get a max. Um. Like you're talking about Max he's your second option. Like a second option needs to be a, a pretty high end offensive, like efficient creator. And I just I worry about the path. I've always worried about like kind of the path for him to achieve that. Um, because it always like even when he was on fire in New York, it was always like <clears throat> you know it was also it was so much of it was based on this like unsustainable mid-range shooting. Um, it's, you know, it's,
1: it, it's funny you bring that up. Um, I'm sorry for interrupting. But no, go ahead. I, about two years ago, it was during one of his hot starts, and I got into a Twitter argument with Tommy D, who I subsequently muted, and he blocked me, I think. And <laughs> which, which, which has been one of the best moments of my life. In fact, I don't have a problem with it personally, by the way, because his opinion, he's such a homer, it's just hard to take. Yeah. Um, you know he he was shooting at that point something like 59% on shots between uh, 12 and 18 feet or something like that or 16 yeah. and 20 feet. It was it was something unsustainable. Yeah. And my point was exactly what you said. Look, this is not going to continue. He's hitting a bunch of shots from 18 feet with a guy in his face. I don't um, unless he's literally going to be the best mid-range shooter in the history of the game. But <laughs> literally, he would have to be the best mid-range shooter, better than Dirk. You Better than Larry Bird. You would have to be the better best mid-range shooter, better than Melo, better than all those guys. You would have to be the best mid-range shooter in the history of the game in order to be an efficient offensive player doing that. And his argument to me was, well, Kevin Durant called him a unicorn, so that means he can do it. That was oh, that's, literally that's, his. That's that's a Kevin
2: Durant can't even shoot for mid-range that good.
1: That, 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 that was that was literally his argument that he was called a unicorn. And look, best oh, I, it, it, and 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 that's why I muted him. But the the, the That's, point a, that's being, a well-deserved
0: muting for Tommy. Uh, Tommy, it, it, I don't think Tommy's listening. But Tommy, that's the stupidest argument I've ever heard in my life.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no it, it literally was and I said my I have too much stuff going on to engage in an argument like this, so I'm <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't. I just can't. So I, you're you're 100% right. My my thing with Porzingis was always this as an offensive player, and I this is gonna be a long answer. I apologize. He is not quick enough, even as a stretch five, to drive around guys. No, he's
2: not. He takes
1: too many long steps to the basket. Somebody's going to step in there. They're going to draw a charge. He's not going to be able to do that, right? So if you can't drive around guys, then you have to be able to post them, right? He just can't get enough. Just his frame and the way he's built that tall, he just can't anchor and be strong enough down there Hmm. to move guys off the block. I mean, if you guys, I don't know if you watch any of the – the uh, Celtic Maverick game the other night. But oh, Marcus okay. Smart dominated him again. And there's something yeah. that he did when he was with the Knicks. He, he can't move Marcus Smart. This guy's 6'5". If yep. you're 7'3", and you can't score on a 6'4", guy, you got problems. You, you you just do. And that's the thing with Porzingis. There was never a path for him to become somebody that can create his own shot. Now, that doesn't mean that he can't be a really valuable player. Because you're a center. And you can get to around nine rebounds a game, which he's not there yet, but he can. You can maybe. hit threes, maybe 10. He can hit threes between 38 and 40%, which I think yeah. is very realistic for him. Yeah, and I think he'll get and, there for sure. I agree. And yeah. you're an elite run protector. That is a legit third best player on a championship team. Good. That you know That is a 20 to $30 million player. It just is. Yeah. Those are valuable skills in the NBA. But. This is where I wound up now in the poor Zengist trade, and I think we'll disagree on some of this, and that's fine. We've had this debate on Twitter. The, I don't believe we're going to look back and say they got enough in return for him. I think they, if they didn't worry about the tax space as much, and I, I don't know what other offers they had, so this is me you know, assuming things, which can't get dangerous, but I think if they did not prioritize dumping bad contracts, they probably could have gotten a little bit better in terms of future assets back. And, yeah. once, and, and once you prioritize tax space, you're leaving your fate up to things that you cannot control, and that is always a very dangerous thing. Because whether or not they thought they were going to get guys, nobody knows. In February, who they're getting in July, they just don't. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Nobody knows because, as we saw, you don't know what's going to happen. Anybody can pop their Achilles at any time. So, I don't think they got maximum value back. However, how this trade will eventually be judged, is I think what Drew said earlier, and that is. Do, are the Mavericks going to regret having him on a max contract? And I think the bottom line, that will come down to his health. Is mm-hmm. he going to be a guy that perpetually, after peaking in mid-November or early November, starts to fade away and by January is missing his injury, is shooting 41% from the field, and can't finish season strong. If he's perpetually that guy, the mere fact that the Knicks aren't locked in to a max contract on a player like that is helpful, mm-hmm. and I think that's where I will wind up. Does the value in how this trade is looked at will in the end be determined by what type of player and how healthy of a player Porzingis is going to be?
2: Yeah, I uh, so I have like tried very very hard. um, basically since the trade, maybe, like, since the immediate aftermath of the trade. I've tried very, very hard not to comment on, one, Porzingis' level of play, and, two, just, like, who won the trade, who lost the trade, all that shit. Like, I, I just think, like, it's better to avoid it because y- you can't... I don't think you... Anybody that tells you they know somebody won or lost that trade after fucking... 11 games this year or whatever is full of shit. Okay? Yeah, that's true. Uh, they are. Like, they're, they're full they of are. shit. And, they're like and, Howard
1: Beck. Yeah, and
2: like anybody that's telling Knicks fans they should like... like, like First of all, you know, okay, so <laughs> to go back, I remember uh, after the Porzingis trade, Joe Beningo was like, he had a, one of his rants because he never liked Porzingis. And uh, he had this rant and he was like, he's like, Matt Harvey did more in New York than Porzingis. Like, what do we do? Why are we lionizing this guy? And I was like thinking about it. I'm like, that's actually depressingly accurate. Like, um, you know, like the idea of Porzingis, the the kind of like the way he burst onto the scene, and then like some of the hot stretches he had, like th- that. Those that's not who he is. That's not like the the true level of his talent. That's just like a hot streak. You know, a lot of guys get on hot streaks. That doesn't make it like that's who they are. Um, and I just kind of, like, I I mean, for sure, obviously, when he's on the Knicks, like, you, you, you say what you can to, like, no, I think he's better than Jokic. Like, uh, yeah, he's definitely better than Jokic, and for sure, like, he, he can rim protect, Jokic can't rim protect. Like, you talk yourself into shit like this. But, like, I mean, I was definitely, I still remember his, so before he got injured, uh, we, I, we played that double overtime game at the Garden against uh, Chicago, and I just remember, like, that was the third time we had played them. Uh, he had played like ass the first few times we had played them, and the second game, Markinen had basically played him to a draw. So I was thinking like, okay, this is like a to me that was a big game for Porzingis to to kind of like play against a younger version of himself, and and really like at, on your home court, uh, like I think I think that's a game you gotta like you gotta deliver, and he put up like 32 points on 30 shots or something like that. And Markkinen clearly outplayed him, and like I think he even blocked him a couple times. It was just like it was it was just bad. And I that that was the game I remember that. But like after that game, in my own head, I was like I I'm very I'm not sure about this guy. Like I don't know if he's a max player. Um, I don't know if he's a true star. I think like like what you said, he could be the third best player in a championship team. That's kind of where I view his ceiling now. And people take that as like. You're dumping on the guy, but it's like no, like that's actually a very valuable player. Uh, that's, that's like
1: Draymond Green, by the way, which a yeah. like, pretty damn valuable player. I
2: mean, it's like it's like if you're saying a guy can be the third best player in a championship team, you're basically saying that they are like a top twenty-ish player in the NBA. Uh, I mean, like Chris
1: Bosh, like, like Chris yeah. Bosh is a really good player. Yeah,
2: and mm-hmm. and like I, and this is what I've said is like like people forget, but Chris Bosh has work to do to even get to where how good Bosh was before right. he went to Miami because Bosch was like he was a twenty and ten high efficiency high, high efficiency guy.
0: Um now also a, rebounded in yeah, defensive yeah. space and all these sort of things. Right.
2: And like and like was a pretty underrated defender at the time and like obviously in Miami got more credit for it but was still underrated. Um, which like, you know, every everybody that all their coaches, everybody always said that. Um, so like if he can get to that level, that's great. Um, I don't really I'm I'm very Chris Bosch is a very I, that's, that'd be a hell of a a place for him to land. Uh, yeah. and I just I don't know. I, I guess like do I think the Knicks won the trade? I I really don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. I think there's so many layers to it. And I I think that what we need to also do is like I so I agree with you that if they had just traded Chris Bosh right, they weren't like worried about getting off of Tim Hardaway Jr.'s money or Courtney Lee's money. They, they could have gotten more. I think where I disagree is I just don't see – I don't think they were ever going to get this, like, godfather, like, massive pick offer uh, because the teams that had surplus picks at that point, I just don't think that they would have been in – to trade so much of it for Kristaps, who wasn't even going to help them on the court last year. No,
1: yeah, no, um, I agree with that. Yeah, there wasn't any way he was going to get like an Anthony Davis like right. package. I don't think he was going get anything. Like, by the way, guys, I got about five more minutes, so anything you want to get on, we can get on.
2: Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I guess the, 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 just the last thing I wanted to mention with that trade was like, um, you know, there was there's just a lot of elements to it that I think that people don't give appropriate attention to. Like, I think that the Knicks were worried about, hey, uh, if we max this guy, are we are we locking? If he wants a five-year guarantee max, are we locking ourselves into like a ticking time bomb with yeah. injury risk? Like, no, you, you know, are a
1: little bit. You are for sure. You know,
2: we 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 see. We, they, we've been down this path with Amari. We've been down this path with so many guys. It's like you should worry about that. I think they were worried about his off-court behavior, which um, I'm not going to get that. He got whatever the allegation is. It's an allegation, you know. I'm, I'm not going to really get into that. But like, you know, uh, I've heard Woj and Rosillo mention on podcasts. Um, like, yeah, like. Look, his off-court stuff
1: was—he's
2: out partying a little too much, maybe. Um, I've
1: heard the same thing. And 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 by the way, his 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 trainer being just a weird dude, and then his brother (laughs) being a pain in the ass.
2: Yeah, right. Like these are things you have to. And like the other, and like if you're signing him, right, giving him that contract, you are rubber stamp. You're saying this is our franchise player. This is our franchise player. We're building around him. He is the center of everything we want to do. He has to represent you in a certain way, and he has to want to represent you in a certain way. And, like, I think people boiling it down to, like, they should have just called this bluff is kind of, like, I don't like the framing of that because, because like, to me, like, for the Knicks especially, for where they've been, if you make somebody a franchise player, you better be damn sure, sure that he wants to be there, that he's going to represent you well, and that he's worth the contract, and that he's worth the risk. And... I don't. I don't know if he was, and I think they may have just made an objective. I don't. I don't know if it was about specifically like we just got to get off this money because we're going to sign two stars. Uh, obviously that was clearly a motivation of making the trade, but I don't think that their primary motivation in trading Kristaps was that. I think they genuinely wanted to trade him for a while, and and were just looking for the best package or the one that got the most of what they wanted. And you know whatever it is, they they wanted some picks, they wanted a young player, and they got all this cap relief that gave them a shot at, at signing two stars, which, like, yeah, it didn't work out, but uh, I think that the swing is, look, you're going to get criticized if you don't if you don't make that signing, those signings,
1: but
0: um, It was worth the risk, I would
1: say. Yeah,
2: you make, like, I I can appreciate them making the risk, and so I and guess And by, like, by,
1: by the way, just throwing it out there, if they make big signings two years from now, when Porzingis still would have been taking up that cap space, I, it's, it's, yeah, still it's still worth
0: it. Oh, absolutely. Correct. And I, mean, yeah. I just wanted to just mention because I know uh John's going to get going. I mean, if you're someone who's going to get has to foul Frank Neal to prevent being dunked on and then getting blocked <laughs> by Frank Neal <Nielakina, laughs> I don't think you could be a uh a franchise player. I'm a I'm sorry. So, I'm very happy that he's off the team. He seems like a disgusting person and I don't want to root for disgusting people. Yeah. Like, uh, I, mean, RJ Barrett is the true king of New York, and he's amazing and beautiful in every single way.
2: Yeah, and and like the <laughs> other thing is about that is like if you if you if you have Porzingis on this team this year, right? You probably are gonna. I still don't think you would be a playoffs team, but maybe you win like 35 games. So get like a if you get a worse pick, like there's just so many elements to the to the deal that like we just don't know yet. So talking about who won, who lost, it's.
0: We're, we're not, not gonna to, know. we're not gonna do, like five years from days. now.
2: Yeah. It's it's gonna be a while. And so like this rush to judgment I get it. Um yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I find it I find it I, I think that like if it was another team that made the same deal, the conversation around it would be very different. Um the well, framing of it. it. Just, yeah, the framing of it has just always struck me as rather bizarre and very like I don't I don't know, man. Like you got like people like Howard Beck who act like you know, the most woke social warriors in the entire world, and we're just glossing over, like, some concerning stuff with Kristaps. Like, I'm not I'm not comfortable with that, and um, yeah, I'm just not comfortable with discussing a lot of it. So, I, I'm willing to let it see play out. I'm actually very happy. I think the Knicks' long-term position is okay. It's it's actually pretty good right now. Um, it's fine. We just, yeah, we need to get a better head coach. We need to get potentially a better front office. Um, but, you know, like, at least the guys we have have been bare minimum competent so like it's not a bad situation and we do have these young kids and like i'm excited to see how these guys grow um like i'm i'm very i'm very optimistic about rj barrett who i wasn't as optimistic on before the draft um so i've been very excited about what i've seen from him and just like the two way ability that he's already flashed is yeah it's it's a lot it's a lot more than i anticipated i did not expect him to be like this competent defensively so early
0: you know what's also nice, too, about the young players, like, even though we're, they're probably not going to reach this point, but, like, the theoretical, like, two-way player that even Dennis Smith can be, and what Frank could be if he starts, like, making his shots, and we see, like, Mitch, too, like, you can play, like, Smith, Frank, RJ, Knox, Mitch. We right? should be playing that. Right, and they, like, they should, should be really doing good. that, and you can do all of it, and it's actually nice to see that, like, the five young players as a core – if they reach their theoretical, what they can do, and what we've seen them do every now and then, like it all works. Like this, player Smith was against the Mavericks. is like the player we know he can be. He just doesn't do it like twenty, like eighty percent of the time. But yeah. if he could do that consistently, then like oh, the Knicks now have a legitimate like point guard.
2: Uh, well, so. last question for John: uh, Is RJ a two or a three?
1: He's a three. Um, I don't like him covering twos. I don't, you know, they'll run him off screens. I don't think that's his strength. His of direction stuff. Now, I do think at the three, you know, maybe his power offense gets a little bit against bigger guys. So that's something I think you maybe have to think about, how that affects his offense playing the three instead of the two. Because I think a lot of his offense come right now with him kind of like running through a lot of smaller twos. Yeah. Um, But I think when all is said and done, he grows into his body a little bit more. I think he will be your classic point forward that you can kind of run your offense through, which is a great
0: guy to have.
2: It is crazy how much of his body he's already grown into
0: at his age. Yeah. It is ridiculous. It is. Yeah, it's almost like if you just had a screen for him, he can uh, he can do wonders. Um, <laughs> John, what do you want to what do you want to promote?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. For for, uh, for the Knicks fans out there, check out the Bank Shot, my Knicks podcast. You can find it on all your podcast platforms, uh, radio dot com, dot com. And I mentioned our Giants podcast offerings before the, show, uh, the start of the show. Uh, again, Big Blue Kickoff Live, the Giants Rewind with Carl Banks and the Giants Huddle Podcast, which you can also find on Giants.com, the Giants mobile app, all your favorite podcast platforms. And, of course, I'm on Twitter at Schmelk. That's with e's, S-C-H-M-E-E-L-K, and I linked all my stuff from there. So that probably be the best way to follow me. I really, really was trying this morning, guys. It was a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, right, thanks really for appreciate coming it. on.
0: No, no problem. Coming on. Um, I think we'll just end it there. Shwin, do you want to promote anything, real quick? I'm not going to promote anything. I don't care.
2: Uh, I am working on something that'll be dropped at some point this week about uh, Fizzdale, So.
0: Oh, yeah. okay. It looks. Oh, it looks like a uh, John left anyway. So we can't just promote. <laughs> <laughs> our um, Yeah. So I'm going to be working on a uh, a Dallas piece, meaning that like you know Knicks versus Dallas. So yeah. just basically like, you know, it's just a good way to just be like, you know, early in the week, you know, we had a tough loss. Hey, let's revisit the Dallas wins. That's basically what I'm doing. So I'm very excited to drop that as soon as possible. And that's it, guys. Have a good night or day, whatever. Same thing. See you. <laughs>